Welcome to the Deeper Dive Podcast, brought to you by the OC Church of Christ. The Deeper Dive Podcast is about going deeper into God's Word, learning new insight and taking a fresh look at the verses that impact our daily lives. Today, we have the privilege of hearing from Ed Anton, who spoke at the February Deeper Dive Teaching Night by the OC Church. Ed currently serves as a minister of the Hampton Roads Church, chairman of the American Commonwealth Region of Churches, teacher on the ICOC Teacher Service Team, and director of the Anchor Academy. Ed has also authored the book, Repentance, A Cosmic Shift of Mind and Heart. Today, we will hear part one from Ed's teaching on understanding the gift of a covenant relationship with God. So get your scuba gear and let's dive deep into God's word. Here's Ed Anton. All right. It is, uh, it is really great to be here. Thank you all for like sitting in this section, too. It makes it a lot easier to uh, connect with you all. Uh, and, and speaking of connecting, I know that you've been going through a year where you're looking at uh, this great connection to God and to one another. Uh, and you begin the year with the idea of belonging and belonging to God in particular. Uh, I, I, love, I love that idea. I think my wife has really inspired me of late to just look at the depth of love uh, and to allow the connection and the belonging to him flow from his love and to trust, trust God's love. Uh, the, the Old Testament has a most quoted passage within it, and it is a passage about the identity of God. Uh, look with me over to Exodus 34. It's, it's actually the, the passage that I'm speaking of. It's where Moses says to God, hey, show me your presence. And God's like, ah, you can't handle the truth. And, you know, like the, the glory is going to blow you away. Uh, and, and, but then, then God does pass before him in Exodus 34, 6. But as he passes before him, he kind of makes a proclamation. As he goes by, it's kind of like God has his own hype man uh, that's kind of talking about him, but it's, but it's just him. Uh, but he's saying something really important for Moses and then us by extension to be able to learn and to understand about God. Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, said, and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Uh, we have this God that would have been so unlike any other concept of a divine being of any sort anywhere on earth. I think it's why when the Bible got translated into a common language uh, around you know, 250 BC and the, the Hebrew Bible made its way into Greek and the whole world started speaking Greek, that people just started flooding the synagogues all over the known world because they never knew of a God like this, the God who cares for the alien, the God who cares for the widow, the God who cares for the orphan, the God who says, you better fear me because I got them. You do not mistreat anybody because I got their back. Uh, it, it, is, it is this God who loves the marginalized, this God who trains his sight on Israel 
and this guy who has trained his sights on us as well. And again, the most quoted passage of the Old Testament is Exodus 34, 6. 34, 6 and, and 7 by extension at times, but, but chiefly 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Now, we get Hallmark love, we get rom-com love, we get love, you know, all over the place. This is a weird slant on love because it is so pregnant with meaning. It's almost like a technical term that goes far beyond our concept of love. But the Old Testament concept of love, said, is, is often uh, sometimes translated steadfast love, loyal love, loyal steadfastness. It, it, it has all, but it's, it's covenantal language. It is the language that I am faithful to you. Like, like think of a marriage covenant. I will be faithful to you until the end, uh, forever and ever, really, from, from, from God's perspective. So we have a God, a God who's all in, a God who is faithful till the very end. And when we read love, most of the time when we encounter it in the Old Testament, it is loyal love, steadfast love, faithful love, a connecting love. You belong to me, love. Don't doubt it. I got you love from God. Uh, as a matter of fact, probably a, a passage I bet you guys have um, looked at from time to time. But uh, fast forward up to Deuteronomy. And when God even talks about, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm this God of compassion and graciousness and, and love. But you want to know why I love you? You want to know, Israel, why I chose you? You, you, you guys want to know? Why, why, Phil, why, why you, why, 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 why you? Well, what if there was a reason? What if it's because you have that winning smile? Uh, what if it is that sparkle in your eye? What, if, you know, but then what about when you just don't feel like smiling? What, what about when, you know what, your eyes have grown dull? But yeah, that, that's a little bit unnerving, right? Because we want to be in a covenant. We want to feel like we are, are with the grand creator of all things. So God gives us this in Deuteronomy 7. He says in verse 6, For you are a people, I'm reading the ESV, by the way, for, for most of these. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, or holy to Yahweh your God. Yahweh, your God, has chosen you. Oh, that's encouraging, right? That's comforting. That's secure. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Wow. So God made a choice. He had all the people groups, 70 people groups at the Tower of Babel, and he chose Abraham and that people group out of them all. Why? What was it about Abraham? Did he know that he was going to maybe you know, be willing to sacrifice Isaac? Did he know that he was willing to get up and go and do anything? Did he know that he was going to be trusting? No. If it, if it was that, it would be a little bit unnerving, believe it or not. Like, even if it was based on faith, it still would be a little bit unnerving. But look at what it says here. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love. Hased, right? That, again, you see it with covenant all the time. You see love in the Old Testament, you see it with God, think, ah, bond, not, not, not a breakable bond. Who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So, to recap this, why did God cho- choose Israel? Why does God choose us? Why does God love us? Well, it says that he loves you because he loves you. And that's actually kind of cool. We were at a marriage retreat, and the, uh, the, the couple that was there, uh, they, were, they were talking about, hey, share about like, what you saw in each other that really made you love one another. Uh, and the brother is now in his uh, early 60s and is balder than I. And, and his wife had said in, in this little kind of marriage connection enrichment workshop that they were in you know, years ago, she says, you know, the thing that really kind of caught my eye and attracted me to you were those wavy black curls. And he's like, uh, I haven't had them for a decade now. And, and it, was, it was very unsettling to him. As, as you might imagine. And then he's like, well, how about now? What can you come up with now? And she was like, uh, uh, your, your personality? He's like, what? It's not like you say my arms. Like you say, no, but, but we don't even want any of that. Like, we should actually be pretty excited that God, you're like, but, but God, come on, look, I, you know, I, I got witty banter. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm pretty good with numbers. No, it doesn't matter. It's not for any of those things. He loves you. He arranged time and space. He died for you. He worked it out so that you could know him. He did all of that because he loves you. That's, that's as far as it needs to go. And, and really in a marriage covenant, that's kind of cool. I just love you because I love you. That's not going to change. We grow old, we grow dim, we grow senile, we grow fat, we grow frail, we grow whatever, right? It's all going to happen. But good thing is not based on any of that. I love you because I love you. But can you accept that? That's the hard question. Are you, are, are you willing to wrestle with that? Are you willing to take Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8 home and, and really allow it to inform your soul. That you have a God. That we're going we're to be looking at covenants in a minute here. But if, if you're looking at these covenants and you got all this conditional stuff going on in your head. You're still not going to come away with a belonging feeling that gives you a great sense of security. It's, it's got to start here. You got a God who loves you. Even if you don't think you're lovable. You are to an infinite God. He loves you. you know, and uh, Psalm 139 says that his thoughts for you, oh, how precious they are, they outnumber the grains of sand of all the seashores. Wow. That's what God does with his in- infinite capacity. He just gushes. He fanboys over you. And he can, every single one of you, and, and extend it all around. Because uh, he loves you. So I want to look at a, a couple covenants tonight. We're going to look at one in Genesis 15, one in Genesis 9, and then we'll, we'll go to the New Testament. We'll take a break somewhere in the middle of all of this. Um, 
and, and make our way through. I'd love for you to be thinking of questions along the way. Uh, and, and perhaps I, I can you know, help with, with, with some of that. Uh, but, but some of it may just be, you know what? It's just because God decided. It's just because he worked it out. He, he, he obviously decided to arrange time and place so that your eyes could be flung open and that you could see his love and know his love and run into his arms of love. So, you know what? Just hang with that. Uh, that may be the answer, but there may be something else that's going on too. So, you know, don't, don't um, back off. I'm just trying to lower your expectations for what I might be able to offer to you. Uh, but hopefully that actually raises your expectations uh, in, in the process. So, uh, we're going to look at Genesis 15. Go ahead and turn over to Genesis 15, please. So, Abraham has been chosen by God at the end of Genesis 11. Tower of Babel stuff, you know, right? Everybody separates, and God's going to choose somebody. You know what's weird, too, about the Tower of Babel scene? It says that he relegates the other nations to the other sons of God, whatever that means. And, and maybe when we read about Daniel uh, praying and the archangel Gabriel, you guys remember this scene by any chance? I think it's, it's uh, in, in Daniel um, 7 or 8. And, and, he, and, he, and the archangel Gabriel comes to him and he goes, hey, as soon as you began praying, I came to you in swift flight. But when I was coming to you, I was resisted by the principality of Persia. Like, what is that? Like, what is that? Is that the kind of the, the principality that had some sort of governing over the nation? And then later he says, and by the way, while, while I'm doing this, I, I was then opposed not by Persia, but also by the prince or the principality of Greece. And they came together and nobody helped me. But then, like some big WWE tag team match, the archangel Michael swoops in. I tap out. Michael gets in there and we fight off with, with, with these other, you know, with the, the prince of, of, of Persia and the prince of Greece. And, and we were able to kind of affect coming to you and, and helping you in the endeavors that you have. So, you know, you, you think your prayer life is boring? You probably don't know the half of what's going on uh, as, as you enter into that prayer life. But anyway, I, I say all that to say that the other nations seem to have been kind of relegated to something, something bizarre uh, and, and something that might have been a bit macabre or twisted that, that landed them in some, some places that are, are, are maybe not just idolatry, idolatry, but like real demons that are, that are involved there. I mean, Paul says the same, Hey, be careful because when you're dealing with a demon, it's not just nothing, you know, yeah, yeah. You may think it's just empty stone, but at some level somewhere, there's something really demonic going on there. So be careful. But anyway, we don't have that. We don't have some sort of a kind of a, a weird spiritual being, uh, that's, that's in, in some way over us. We have Yahweh who is abounding in love and gracious and kind and forgiving. Uh, we have Yahweh, who had had a plan from the very start to work through Abraham, to develop Israel, to bring about Jesus, for Jesus to then be made available, and then for Jesus to, to obliterate all those principalities completely and let all the nations suddenly be set free from their influence and be able to come back into the loving relationship with Yahweh. Uh, that's, that's pretty amazing. It's, it's epic, it's big battle type stuff, but, but, but it's ours. But anyway, let me, let me get to it now. Abraham is chosen by God. And one of the first things that, that God does to him in Genesis 12 is he, he says, all right, you're going to have a kid. 
Abraham's like, I'm old. I'm like, I'm really old. Sarah, you know what? She's, she's, kind of, she's really old too. Uh, Romans tells us this story again. Uh, and Abraham, though, wanted, he really wanted this covenant with God. But at some point, you know, Romans says that he hoped against hope. Right? He hoped against hope because his body was as good as dead. And then there's that like not so flattering statement about Sarah's womb, that it was as good as dead too. Uh, and, and he hoped against hope. Uh, he wanted it to be, but, but, but he also kind of knew the certainty of biology too, and that now you're pushing 98, 99, no kid. Uh, Sarah, likewise getting to 90, like no kid. Uh, you know, any, any of you all here have a 90-year-old a mom or grandmom? Any, anybody? Anybody? Yeah? Maybe older, yeah? Um, yeah, well, what, what would you think if like, hey, you know, the great promise of your life is going to come through her and her pregnancy? It's like, oh, you hope against hope, right? I mean, you want it, you want to be all in, but like, I, I had dinner with her. It wasn't that like impressive. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, verse, verse one of, of chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, oh, Lord, God, what, what will you give me? I, I, I continue childless. The heir of my house is Eliezer. He's from Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. So here we go. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. Number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now he's not all the way there yet, although this is very impressive. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh Lord, how can I know? This is his Whitney Houston moment. How can I know that you really love me? How can I know that you really care? How can I know? Lord, how can I know? Oh, Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And what does God say to him? Something. This used to be the weirdest chapter for me. Genesis 15, you know, you have your little annual reading plans. Genesis 15 was like the skim chapter. Uh, yeah, heifer, goat, ram, cut them in half, I don't know, weird stuff. All right, I read it, I move on. It is now perhaps my favorite chapter of the Old Testament. It's amazing what a little work will do, right? To, to, to uh, realize, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what I was passing over, God was bringing some really sweet stuff here. So again, back to how can I know, how can I know? So God sets him up for the ultimate title signing, right? How many of you here have bought a house at some point, right? And you, you, you know the role, especially, well, I mean, it used to be a big deal. I bought my first house in 1988. I remember it was like a really big deal. I put on a full suit. Uh, I mean, I, I did, I suited up. I had this like 
Mont Blanc Meister struck fountain pen. Uh, I brought it. I, it's the kind that you like kind of fill with ink. I, I'm out. Like this is going to be big. You come into a, this really impressive lawyer's office with a mahogany table and a big leather back chairs. And we sit down. It, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, like, whoa, this is going to be a big deal. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm entering a covenant with this bank to, to be able to purchase my first property. You know, today, not so much, right? Right, the, the, the last time we financed, some some lady in a hoodie and sweats showed up uh, with a notary stamp, and we did it in a couple minutes. Boop, boop, we're out of there. So again, the the illustration doesn't hold up as much anymore as it used to, but 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 this is like ooh covenant time. Like we're we're we're, we're really kind of having a big summit meeting here, because he says, "Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old." turtle dove and a pigeon and he brought all of these cut them in half and laid each half over against each other but he did not cut the birds in half and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses abram drove them away so uh this is maybe a kind of a, a depiction of of what that might look like uh we we know this because there's a couple one other bible passage in particular that'll help us and we'll go to it but but it probably would have been some some sort of a um a trough or a valley uh, that, that they would have been on each side of, and you and you establish a a trail of blood down the middle of these animals. They're all bleeding rather intensely. Think about a, I mean, a full-on cow, uh, a big goat, a, a a big ram. Right? That's that's a lot of blood that is now filling this this trough that's going on here. Now. What is this besides, oh, good, I'm going to catch up on my reading plan. <laughs> Check, I'm done. Well, see you, taxi. Thank you. Uh, but, but, but no, but by going deeper, holy smokes, what we get here. Now, this idea is also mentioned in Jeremiah. So since Jeremiah gives us an insight onto it, it says in, uh, in, in Jeremiah, and the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and pass between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf. So we, we have a situation there over in Jeremiah 34 uh, where the leaders of Israel really, really do a number on the people, and they, they, they treat them terribly. Uh, and, but, but they had a covenant that was made. But, but this covenant that was made amongst them was one in which when you walk through, right, if you transgress the covenant, as this says, the, the men who transgress the covenant and, and don't keep the terms of it, then they are basically saying, may I be like this calf. Let's see, I go backwards. I can, wow, it's really an amazing tool you have up here that may may i be like this calf may i be like this heifer may i be like this ram may i be like this goat may may i be torn asunder may i be butchered in this way if i break the covenant that i'm making and and these covenants were were, were made in a variety of ways it's um you know hundreds and hundreds of years later in jeremiah uh where where they have again the same ceremony going on for a different type of covenant but I only bring it up because you see that it is a ceremonial thing. It is the Mont Blanc pen and the big signing and the notary. It's, it's the big deal of you making a commitment to a covenant. 
Now, when you're making this covenant with like, let's say, a, a king or suzerain leader of a, of a land, uh, typically what happens, though, is that leader, that king doesn't go through, you go through. Because the king is honorable, the king has got it going on. Uh, how, how dare you make the king kind of get, get himself all filled with, uh, w- with blood uh, going through this trail here? Uh, it, but you go through. You go through because you know the king is good for it, but you're showing him that you're good for it as, as well um, as you make your way through. Um, and again, when this happens, so go on back to Genesis 15. Verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Again, remember the context. What is Abraham wanting right now? He wants a son, but he also wants certainty. Right? He wants to know that he belongs. He wants to know that this is rock solid. He wants to know that this is a covenant that he can count on. That this has said loyal love from God that God is going to make good on this. So even though he has all this faith and God's like, hey, and you know what? We're going to credit righteousness to you for this faith. It's obvious that your faith isn't all the way there because you got this, how can I know? And God's kind of gracious. Remember when Zechariah in, uh, in the New Testament was told that, hey, you're going to give birth to a kid. He's going to be JTB. You're going to have John the Baptist. Uh, and, and he's like, uh, really? But, you know, we're kind of old. And it's the same angel, uh, Gabriel, that I was talking about earlier. Gabriel's like, oh, how dare you? All right? and, then he, and, he, and he strikes him so he can't speak uh, for a while, which is, which is kind of interesting because then people are, are, are talking to him um, and, and trying to talk to him about things. But as they're talking to him, they're making signs to him, uh, which is interesting because I think they're just being empathetic to him because he could still hear, uh, but, but he couldn't speak. Uh, but why? Because he questioned God. He questioned, he questioned God and said, well, you know, how can I know? But, but, but again, that was more just on the particulars of, a, of, of producing a, a prophet. The idea that we belong to God and that, that we're connected to God. God is so gracious here that he wants us to know with certainty. And, and this covenant is really astounding that is being set up here. So the sun was going down, verse 12. Dreadful great darkness fell upon him. And again, the whole time Abraham's wondering, again, if you're Abraham in this situation, I bet this is what you're thinking. All right, I've set it up. And at some point, God's going to say, time to go, Abraham, time to walk through. Oh, I'm not going through. You know how this works. I, I don't go through. You go through. And when you go through, that'll be good enough to seal the deal. Then I'll know and you'll know that this thing is really going to go down. And that you're really going to have the kid. And you're really going to have descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. It's all, it's all going to happen. So he's waiting. He's waiting. Deep sleep falls upon him. And then verse 13, it's go time. Then the Lord said to Abraham, again, exactly what he wanted, right? Know for certain. Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, Egypt. And will be servants there, slaves there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on that nation they serve. And afterward, they will come out with a great possession. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. That is like bomb after bomb of truth. 
that is amazing, by the way. Uh, I can't unpack it all, but let me just say this. In this little section, God predicts that the Israelites will spend 400 years in slavery in Egypt. They'll come back. They'll come back to this very land. And he also is not willing to obliterate the Canaanites and the Amorites in the land because I want to make sure. I want to make sure that they're really that sinful. So I'm going to give them 400 years of second chances. And maybe by that chance, but you know, when, when Joshua goes in and kind of does some wampin and stomping, we're pretty certain that those child sacrificers and those idolaters and those phallic symbol worshipers, that you know what, they really are all of those things. And they've proven it and they've only debased themselves worse and worse for 400 years. So anyway, that's all free, but, but it's all here. And it's all amazing that God gives us like all of this truth bomb, truth bomb, truth bomb. But he's like, hey, this is all going to happen. You're going to have the kid. You're going to be a big nation. You're going to go down. You're going to serve the Egyptians. I'm going to bring you out. Mighty hand. You're going to come back. Womp, stomp, take the land. You'll see. But I got to give the land time to see if maybe they might repent. Uh, but likely not. You're going to come and take it. Right? And then verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot. Let's get to this. we go. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Think about when God has appeared in some way in the Old Testament. Pillar of fire, pillar of cloud, burning bush, fire on top of Mount Sinai. These are what are called theophanies uh, or, or just appearances of God in some sort of a physical manifestation. And not too very, very different from the pillar of fire, the burning bush, uh, the, the fire on Mount Sinai. All of these will come later. But before all of that, we had a smoking fire pot and a torch on fire. And what do these things do? A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And they, again, appreciate this is God. And they passed between these pieces. If you're Abraham, there's an audible gasp. (gasps) And you're also wondering, like, do I go? Do I go? God never tells him to go. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, Kenizzites, Kedmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Know for certain, God says. And after he says, know for certain, Abraham watches and God shows up. Not COVID, but... But know for certain, know for certain. And then the most formal covenant that could have been constructed with all the bells and whistles is laid out. And what normally would be just Abraham going through, God never asks Abraham to go through. But what does this mean, though? It means that God is willing to go through. I mean, God is saying that I am faithful, even I am faithful. 
I, I have said faithful love. And I'm going to make right on this. And this covenant is rock solid, ironclad, watertight, guaranteed. That's the kind of covenant that I'm making here. And just when the first of the theophanies goes through, and Abraham might think, okay, now it's my turn. Again, he's not asked to. He's just kept at bay. And then rather than him go through a second time, God goes through a second time. Which many have thought what this might mean is that God is saying, all right, on this covenant, if I'm not faithful, maybe I be torn apart like these animals. Oh, and by the way, I don't want you to go through. I'm going to do it on your behalf. And if you're not faithful, Abraham, if you're not faithful, I go through on your behalf. And if you're not faithful, let me be torn apart like these animals. And you know what? Abraham was not faithful. The people of Abraham, whoops, the people of Abraham, the people of Abraham were not faithful. And in Luke 22, because of man's state, because of the children of Abraham, Jesus comes. And any time we get a theophany, an appearance of God, it's, it's kind of Jesus in different ways. And, and in this case, we get full-on Jesus. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Abraham wasn't faithful. Israel wasn't faithful. We weren't faithful. And Jesus went through. Jesus made good. We broke the covenant, but we didn't bear the consequence. We broke the covenant, but the covenant didn't break. And the covenant didn't break because Jesus went through. That's our God. That's our Hesed love. That's incredible. That we broke the covenant and God bore the consequence. And so the new covenant, having been satisfied already as God going through, is now one in which we can have security. Knowing that God has already gone through. Jesus stands as your advocate in heaven. Stands and always makes intercession for you for your standing before God. And anytime you sin, Jesus is there not pleading for mercy, not pleading for clemency. He's just pleading for justice. And he's saying, God, she's already had her sins paid for. She already is standing before you in righteousness. My once-for-all sacrifice has already taken care of this. So this is not a plea for help or mercy. It's just a reminder of the covenant. 
and of your love and of our satisfaction of that covenant so that you can walk this earth with righteousness, with security, knowing that you belong because you broke the covenant, but God went through and he satisfied the covenant because he loves you and because he doesn't want that covenant with you ever to be broken because it's a covenant of love and a covenant of sacrifice. Amen. So let me pause before we go to the next covenant here and, and see if you guys have any, any questions on this. I, I, I know that a lot of this is kind of like, whew, you know, th- th- thrown at you. Um, but, 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 but I don't know if you have any thoughts before we kind of take a stretch break and, and move on to our next covenant. We'll, we'll hit three tonight. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly so. Yeah, amen. And it is really remarkable. And by the way, I'm sorry, it is, it's Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Exodus 34, 6, which is the most quoted. Uh, that is a God who, the Lord, the Lord is rich in mercy, abounding in love and, and, and faithfulness and gracious love and forgiving even to a thousand generations. So um, th- that's the most quoted but but the Deuteronomy seven seven is is also this profound idea that he chooses us because he loves us. The, the word love there is the same love that is described in that most described passage of God. But um, but but right away in Deuteronomy seven that he chose us just because he loved us. If you look backwards in Deuteronomy, he he tries to help Israel be buffeted against this for, forgetfulness. So right after the Lord, the Lord. Uh, the Lord is one, you know, the, the, the Shema prayer of, of um, Deuteronomy 6, 4. Right away we get into, all right, when you're walking on the road, tell it to your kids. When you're lying down, tell it to your kids. Whenever you get a chance, tell it to your kids. If you're going to walk through a doorway, be reminded as you walk through that doorway because you've posted some scriptures there. When you go out of your gates, no matter what new social situation you enter, be reminded, be reminded, be reminded. Put it on your wrists, put it on your forehead. Talk about it all the time. Uh, Later on, I'll say, make make sure this law is read every three years, uh, that everybody hears the the, the full reading of this law. So there's mechanisms that God has in place to try to keep this terrible forgetfulness. But one of the big, big, as you, you, you know, I think poignantly pointed out, uh, one of the big issues is that prosperity, God predicts, will breed callousness uh, and that and that when we're in the foxhole, oh, God, help me. But, you know, when we're on the couch and having our margarita, uh, you know, yeah, God is nice, I guess. But, uh, you know, I, I think I'm all right. Um, and it's, it's, it's just part of our human condition that God wants to bless us. But with blessings and prosperity, likewise comes a, a callousness. Um, we, we are... We, we, Jesus attempts to explode that by making it such an overwhelming gift that it can't be ignored. Such an over-the-top gift uh, that you're always reminded, hopefully with gratitude, that stokes you into a, a, a pattern of generosity at all times. So I, I, I had a gift like that that, that came my way um, from, from friends that we all know, and this guy's a uh, neurosurgeon in our church, and he, he gave us a Toyota Sequoia that he was going to trade in, but our car broke down. He gave it to us. 
I'm like, what in the world? So, but, but it's such an over-the-top gift, right? I mean, it's an over-the-top gift. It's a car that I never dreamed of owning ever in my life. By the way, the car now has 348,000 miles on it. The thing is crazy amazing. But and I've had it since 156,000 miles. So for the last 200 and, well, 200,000 miles that, that I've had it just about, there is not a single mile, I think, that goes by, or at least there's not a single episode of driving it, where I'm not like, this is so amazing. Like, I, like this is my car. I want to roll down the window. My car. I got, I, somebody gave this to me. It's amazing. But, but, but what it also does is it, it just always restokes my gratitude for this guy. And if there's ever an opportunity to serve him, I'm, I'm wow, at the ready, running. Like, yes, how, how can I be generous back? Uh, it's it's kind of like the psalm. What can I give back for all the good that the Lord has given to me? Uh, so I, I think the new covenant recognizes that the old covenant had that built in, that they kept kind of losing sight, kept kind of losing sight. Uh, and so, man, God brings it with a gift that is so, so, so precious. If we could, if we could um, take a little detour right now, um, let, let's look at that in um, 2 Corinthians 9, 11. God says to the church there, it's the Macedonians that were doing such a great job and the Corinthians were trying to do such a good job of, of um, being generous with their own gifts. And he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So in other words, God is going to just enrich you, enrich you, enrich you at every turn in every way. Why? So that it wells up in thanksgiving and also is returned in your own generosity. Uh, that's, the, that's the new covenant, is God just overwhelms us with gifts. Now, uh, earlier in chapter 8, uh, this, the, the, this idea is pretty amazing. In verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Like, he plunged himself into poverty, and worse, so that you can be rich and enriched and blessed uh, uh, remarkably. Let me give an illustration that, that sometimes helps me on this. Let's say uh, you have a, uh, a, young, a young daughter. And your young daughter has a, an odd ailment and it's a liver failure. And it requires a liver transplant. But that liver transplant, by the way, is also an experimental surgery right now. Uh, and... and the insurance company is not willing to, to pay for an experimental surgery. So not only do you hope for a liver transplant, but even if you get it, you don't know how you're going to pay for it because it's experimental surgery. But your neighbors next door and a lot of your neighbors, they all rally to the cause and they all get tested to see if they could be a match. And it's kind of a great little community spirit. And it turns out that your next door neighbor's son is a match for your daughter. And your little girl now has a chance. And it's an amazing chance. But if we're to understand the gift of Jesus well enough, it's not just enough that the, the little boy gives the, gives the liver uh, for, 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 your, for your daughter. Um, but in this case, it's over $700,000 for this surgery. And you don't have any extended family. There's, there's nobody... But that family next door, 
they really, really want to do right by you and, and, and be able to help your daughter. And they just love her. And so they decide to plunge themselves into poverty. They sell off everything that they have, all of their assets, their 401k, their retirement, and their home. And they plunge themselves into poverty. Jesus, though he was rich, yet for your sake, plunged himself into poverty so that by his poverty you could become rich. They plunge themselves into poverty. No cars, no house, no savings. And if anything, probably threw in a little bit of credit card debt at the same time and plunged themselves into poverty. And they were able to pay for the surgery for your child. But in that surgery, they were able to extract the liver from their son and your daughter was able to live, but their son didn't make it. And they died. He died and they were plunged into poverty. Do you think you're going to forget that? No, of course you're not. But that's what Jesus did for us and then some. Again, and, and then some. This little soikoya is a helpful reminder to me of something so small and inconsequential, but I'm, I'm grateful, as a, as a really cool car. But, but even the story of that family uh, doesn't come close to approaching the king of the universe, plunging himself into poverty for you and being humiliated and butchered, flayed out, naked, absolutely treated with, with, with dishonor and disgrace for you, just to let you know how, how valuable you are. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's why that we have to continually cultivate what, what, what the Israelites were called to cultivate, a, bringing our covenant, bringing our connection into full reminder. Otherwise, we too can go down that route of forgetfulness and callousness. Thank you, Ed, and thank you for listening to the Deeper Dive podcast by the OC Church of Christ. We will have part two of understanding the gift of a covenant relationship with God in our next episode. In the meantime, if you want to get connected to us or want to donate to the program, go to our website, occhurchofchrist.com, or connect to us through social media at the OC Church. Join us next time for our next Deeper Dive.